My background is I, as in terms of where I was born, I was born in West London, born and raised Shepherd's Bush. Um, I went to school in Hammersmith. My family lived in like the areas around like Acton, Stonebridge, Wembley. I had family all over. Um, I still went to school in Hammersmith, but travelled um, from Fortin Heath when I moved. Yes, I used to come down to Shepherd's Bush every morning, go to my uncle's house on Uxbridge Road, and then because I used to have to get up at like five in the morning. So, yeah, I'd travel down from early, get to, like, Shepherd's Bush about seven, wait, and then go to school, jump on the 283 bus, go to school. So that was kind of, yeah, my childhood, just doing a lot of travelling <laughs> all over the place. Um, on su summer holidays, I'd spend in Ealing, um, Southall, Southall, with my auntie and my other cousins and everything. So we would go out there, I'd probably just stay there for the whole six weeks and then come back, go to school. And so it was literally like, yeah, I would chill with the family and the holidays and then either back to Shepherd's Bush or back to South London, so yeah. My actual connection to Brent is my family. Um, a lot of my family lived in Brent, so that is my, my connection. Oh, my connection to reggae music. So my dad's Jamaican, my mum's Dominican. So growing up when you have family parties and everything and the music is always playing. It was a battle between soca and reggae. Be like, yeah, let's have a bit of um, Mighty Sparrow. And I'm like, no, Bob, Bob Marley. Like, come on. So the Jamaican influence was really strong. I didn't get to go to Dominica till I was like about 16. So everything from birth upwards was just Jamaica, Jamaica, Jamaica. So reggae was really prominent in my house. Every Sunday, we would play vinyl. My dad would play one, at least minimum, one to two Bob Marley LPs. Then we had Frankie Paul. We had Sanchez Loneliness album. Then you had your Burning Spear, your Iroy, Uroy, just everyone. And I always make a joke and say the only other genre in my house was Stevie Wonder and Whitney Houston. That was it. Everything else was just straight reggae. And then my uncles, they had their own sound as well. So I always had just always had reggae around me. One of my un other uncles used to collect the sound tapes, so like Metro Media, Stone Love. All of those. So that's what I used to listen to on the way to school. <laughs> and because my journey was so long, I'd be able to, like... I remember in, like, 1990s, like, the early 90s, I used to play the Bujaban and Mr. Mention album, and I had it on, like, a Memorex cassette tape. And then it would cut off that one song, and then it would automatically change onto the other side, and I just knew where it changed. I knew all the lyrics. Like, everything literally was reggae like people used to think I was like a little Jamaican child born in Jamaica born and bred but I wasn't I was born here <laughs> my favorite reggae track is, is difficult it would probably be a Bob Marley track um what so I'll say one of my favorite Bob Marley songs is Who the Cat Fit on the Rasta Man Vibration album um a lot I learned a lot of my black history through listening to Bob Marley and listening to reggae Things that wasn't taught to us in school, I picked up a lot just from either reading the lyrics on the Bob Marley LPs 
or my brother was lucky enough to also go to black school. There was a place in, I think it's Godolphin um, Road in Shepherd's Bush, I think. There used to be a black school. So my brother used to come home and tell me what he learned about Nancy the Spider. They used to learn all kinds of little songs and history and everything. Yeah, um, I think reggae gave me a certain swagger. Um, <laughs> definitely, even down to the clothes um, that I was wearing. Um, shabba, you know, they call them harem pants now, but I had like a silky kind of fly pit. It just looked like pyjamas with a crotch. But yeah, I had that. I remember we had like mufti day, so I wore that to school in like, what was it, like third year of primary school or something, and we were doing like dancing and everything like that. So yeah, and just a certain attitude. I had a coolness about me. Um, one of my friends always say, I, the first time I, I heard you speak, I said, that's going to be my friend for life because there was a door at school. When you opened it, you could go from your classroom into the classroom next door. And one of the girls were being rude. So I said, no matter step across the borderline. I said something like that to her. And my friend said, no, that's it. That's when I knew you was my friend for life. But I was the only one, and maybe a few other girls, who would talk like that. Because it was just intertwined in, in our speech. That's just how it was. So yeah, I did get a little swagger from listening to a lot of reggae and dancehall. Yeah, I adopted the Jamaican um, patois more than the Dominican patois. I'd say um, in my household, both of my parents have accents. My dad's accent is strong Jamaican. My mum's more, uh, what can I say? Not posh, but she's got a more subtler accent. But when all the family would come over, the Dominican side, they'd all talk in patois, and then it would be like, big people are talking, come out. So we used to have to come out of the room. So that's maybe why we didn't pick up the Dominican side of things as much as we did with the Jamaican side. But also, I was travelling to Jamaica since I was three. I was going back and forth all the time, spending loads of time out there. Like, if we weren't doing that for if I wasn't at my aunt's house or one of my family members house for holidays we'd go to Jamaica so I'd be out in Jamaica for like six weeks just doing everything that Jamaican kids would be doing walking on my hands catching lizards with a piece of a blade of grass rolling a wheel down the road licking bottle caps that's how I was living so from the age of three Jamaica had been instilled into me a lot. And like I said, my dad and the music that was getting played in the house, like there was only like one or two soca LPs, if you was lucky, in my house. Everything else, apart from Bob, apart from um, Whitney and Stevie, everything else was Bob and all the other reggae artists. So that was constantly the accent. Everything was just around me. So that's why I probably picked up on the Jamaican culture more. I probably experienced um, reggae in Brent later on in life when I met up with Tubby T. Um, Tubby was a big influence on me coming through in music. After I got signed, we were both signed to the same label when we came out with our garage tracks. So Tubby was like a bigger brother to me. 
So it was just like, Stush, come, like, we're going to do this show. It was, it was very much from Tubby where I experienced a lot of my influences in reggae in Brent. And I would say the sound system from my uncle as well. Reggae-based music has developed my career um, just phenomenally, really. Um, that has, reggae has always been the, like, the basis of my whole style. Like, everything about my style is reggae. It came from reggae. Um, so everyone says, oh, you was on Garage. But at the time, I was told, as a reggae artist, I couldn't make it in, in the UK. Reggae doesn't work for UK artists. Dancehall doesn't work for UK artists. And I was like, but you had Glamour Kid and you had this one. No, but it just doesn't, it doesn't do well. And I think a lot of artists were told that and had to find another path to come through. So now it's, it's great that we're getting a lot of reggae and dancehall artists from the UK able to do reggae and dancehall. But at the time I was coming through, I was always told wouldn't be able to do that. Um, and that's my style. And for the first time I ever got to do in my whole career, which has spanned nearly 20 years, I finally got to do my own reggae dancehall show in Israel a couple of months ago. So that was great. But yeah, that's my style and I'll, I'll never let it go because that's in me. It's, it's like second nature. It's not like I have to think about doing reggae. It just is what I do. It's in my soul. Buying my first reggae track. Let me think, which one was it? Because I had to go back. I had to go, once I was old enough and I had a lot of money coming in, I had to go back and collect all the classics. So I went back and bought like, Beanie Man, Many Moods of Moses, went back and bought um, Baudry Mr. Mention on CD, not on cassette tape. Um, <laughs> bought all the Bob Marley LPs on CD um, and got those extra bonus tracks that, like Amadou and things like that, that wasn't on the, uh, the original um, vinyl. Um, what was my first? I remember getting Inner Heights, but that was later on. That was later i need to i need to think about that one i can't remember what my first album i bought but it was probably a beanie man album that i bought and then i get yeah, i went back and had to collect reggae scene definitely influences um a lot of genres i was listening to jungle because my brother used to buy jungle lps and i knew nearly all of the jungle tunes because to me that was dancehall you took the, you sampled a lot of dancehall and the bass lines and everything like that. That to me was jungle. Um, hip hop comes from reggae, whether you want to admit it or not, it does. Yeah, Cool Herc and and all of these people, like Jamaicans in New York. So a lot of genres come from that anyway. Grime, um, garage, it just all, most, most genres are, um, come off the back of reggae, really. There's no denying it. Sound systems were maybe supported by just the people. I'm not sure about if they were supported by the businesses in Brent. Just sound system culture in general, you know that a lot of it was set up in community centres. I mean, in like you didn't use a club, you you was allowed to have like a community hall. 
So even even to now, I go to sound clashes now, and a lot of them are still in community halls. And I'm like, look how long this has been going on, and you've got Red Bull Cup clash that has directly taken from the culture, and you're getting these big places to um, have your events, but the actual pioneers and stuff are still using the smaller venues. So I think it's maybe barbershops would probably support, put the flyers in there, you'd see stuff like that. Hairdressers would um, put the flyers, West Indian restaurants, takeaways, they would support the sound systems like that by putting their um, leaflets and flyers in there. But overall, council-wise and other businesses, not too sure that they would support the sounds. The media response to local reggae events, a lot of the time they think that violent activity will take place. Sometimes they get banned. Sometimes they don't even take place. The response is, oh, we are going to shut this down. Um, and obviously seeing other festivals, which has ten times the amount of people, but it's not a reggae-based festival, you're thinking, well, how come you don't think trouble's going to happen here, but you automatically think at a reggae event that there's an issue, and then it gets shut down. And I know firsthand from doing um, raves all over the country that as soon as they hear that it's an R&B, um, dance or, or reggae event, that there's an issue. They, they, they actually ask, oh, is it a black event? because they're going to shut it down, because they think there's going to be violence, or for whatever reason, that it gets shut down. And a lot of the raves that I was doing got shut down back in the day. So it kind of stopped us making money as performers because they were clamping down on a lot of these kind of shows. As a performer, my audience is very varied. At the beginning of my career, it was predominantly um, black crowds that I was performing to, um, maybe very small clubs as well. The size of the, the venues were quite small. As the music kind of, especially because I was a dancehall-influenced artist on Garage, so Garage was very much about dressing up and putting on your best clothes and everything. And that is a lot like how I grew up anyway. You wear your good clothes when you're going out. You present yourself well. So you would see that in dancehall as well. Everyone would come out dressed to the nines and everything like that. But as um, things moved on a bit, I noticed that, especially going through the genres, even into grime and house, people started to wear trainers, dress down a bit more. My crowd started turning from predominantly black to mixed, and now it's a lot of white people in dancehall um, that I see in the crowds. I do shows with people like the Heatwave, and Heatwave is, don't want to say a white sound, but it's, it's a white guy who does the sound. So he was getting a mixed crowd, but because a lot of black people in dancehall weren't able to put on their own things, a lot of people would go to the Heatwave. Can you book Stush through the Heatwave, or can you book this artist, Stylo, through this other collective? So that changed the crowd to be now it's incorporating a lot of other people. So it was quite mixed, but now you're seeing a lot of white people in the audiences. Working with Groove Armada, 
that was an interesting time because a lot of things were going crazy in my record deal anyway. So I hadn't had anything out in the scene since like 2002. So fast forward to 2007, I think it was actually someone from Greensleeves who approached me and said, um, Groove Armada are looking for you. So I was like, okay, Groove Armada, but they do a totally different sound to me. So this will be interesting. And um, yeah, I met up with them and it, the track worked. Um, Red Rat was doing work with them at the time as well. So I got to meet Red Rat and it was just that um, blend, like they wanted my style on their kind of music. And I remember One Extra and Choice started playing the tune. And I remember Guru Ramada saying to me, like, thanks, Dush, because we never had that, that audience before. It's like, I, as much as they thought I was little Stush, I helped you cross over. Yeah, you brought me into the mainstream, but I also helped you get heard by a lot of black ears that were, would never have even known who you are. So that was a very interesting time. And the, on the flip side, some people thought, oh my God, Stush is sold out. And I was like, no, it's just music, you know. <laughs> music is music. I still got my dancehall style, my whole reggae vibe. Even what I'm talking about on that track, because I wrote that track years before meeting Groove Armada as well. I'd been sitting on that track for 10 years prior. I wrote that when I was like 18. So if you listen carefully, I'm saying um, dancehall dance moves in there. L-O-Y, screechy. Um, Jerry Springer, there were certain dance moves that I actually say in the tune. So I was trying to, you know, still bring us in there. Yeah. Reggae music has a big influence on the dialect of, the, of everyone, not even just the youths. People don't even realise that when they're talking, saying wagwan and all that, that is Jamaican slang or dialect or patwa, whatever you want to call it. Like, even when you hear Afrobeats music, you're hearing, um, it's like a diaspora thing, isn't it? But you are hearing people in Afrobeats. Sometimes you have to go, is that Afrobeat or is it dancehall? I don't even know because it's all mixed together now. I'll be on the bus and I'll hear someone talking behind me and you may think, right, that was a black you, and you turn around and it's like an Asian boy or something. You'll think everyone is using the Jamaican lingo everyone whether you want to admit it or not it's just there and it has been there for years <laughs> it is just a part of society now reggae music in uh, influencing politics that's a that's a funny one for me because i'm not sure i feel like it has but i can't give any direct examples like where like yeah it was very rebellious and I think they got to be they got to a point where it just went quiet and it's like I was saying no one's fighting for anything anymore. We need that whole burning and eluting mentality to come back in reggae. That's how I felt because a lot of stuff was going on in dancehall and normally there's a balance. In dancehall, when you may have the slackness going on, you've got a loot and fire or a chronics or someone to or a capon or a sizzler that balances it out on the reggae side and is like now nah, we're gonna burn a fire on that and we're gonna burn a fire on that that's that's wrong 
but it seems like because of this whole political correctness, certain people are having to keep their mouth shut. So the balance is it's off balance now. You're getting all of this, what I what in my opinion is not healthy and it's wrong. And people are getting told it's right. It's like I was saying, everything that is wrong in life is now seen as right and everything that is classed as right is now wrong. And if you speak out against anything, now you're uh, some kind of phobia. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You can't say something. It's like we say we have freedom of speech, but do we really? So I feel like reggae back then was able to influence the political stance on things, but now we've been made to keep our mouth shut so much, it's impossible to influence anything. That's what I kind of feel. People come out to reggae events because reggae is love. Even the, the tempo of reggae is the heartbeat. It, you, you know, it's in your soul. And even when I travel outside of England, reggae tends to bring everyone out. It's just something in it. Like people, there's a, there is a message, there's a positivity within the music. And the music's nice, it's sweet, isn't it? Um, and people want to be a part of the culture. One thing I've noticed, you can slap a Jamaican flag on rice that's from Spain and it will sell. Yeah, we know that the, reg, the Jamaican brand sells. Look at Bolt, everyone wants to do this. Everyone wants to be, um, have a piece of Bolt. And my dad always says that the island is small, but the people that we've produced and what we've done and what's come out of the little island is so tremendous. There's just something infectious about, about Jamaican culture. Everyone just wants a part of it. And it's inclusive. Reggae music is so inclusive, it includes everyone. I mean, as a reggae artist, the legacy I'd like to leave behind is, like, just to everyone to be yourself. Even when I was told I couldn't do something, I still done it. If I couldn't go from A to B, I went from A to Z, to D to B, to, like, just push that forward, that being yourself is what it's all about. If your influences is Jamaican and it's reggae, bring that through. It's just taking pride in your heritage. People always say to me, oh, why do you use a Jamaican accent in your music? And I'm like, because I feel like it's my way of, of giving thanks to the people who done it before me, to my, to my own family. Like, just thank you. Do you know what I mean? Um, I want to show women that you can be a voice, you can be a powerful presence, and you don't have to be scantily clad. You can wear clothes up to you, you can wear a polar neck and a hood, but your talent is what counts. You don't have to um, strip off to do music. It may take a longer time for you to get to where you want to go, but it can be done. It definitely can be done. So that is what influence I want to, and legacy that I want to leave behind for people. Like, just be yourself. It always transcends. The realness in you always comes through. It doesn't matter how long it takes, but it, it, does, it does happen.
like I said before, like my most meaningful experience was with Tubby T coming down to write with him. Um, that was in Harlesden. I remember a car wash. I, I could just remember the car wash and it was broken at the time. That's why I can remember it. But it was near there I met up with Tubby and it meant a lot to me because he fell ill shortly after and we were doing writing sessions and like I said before we were on the same label together and he, him having the reggae style and me having the reggae style, it's like I had someone else that I could lean on and, you know, bounce ideas off and, and everything. So it did mean a lot to me, even just getting to perform with Tubby. But I did, I performed in Halston. I recorded in Kilburn with Deneo as well. Um, recorded, yeah, me and Deneo hooked up a lot because we were on the same label as well back in the day. So Deneo produced some of my tracks as well. So, yeah, working Kilburn and Halston, but I wish I could remember where in Halston I performed. I've got vinyl from back in the day that was like reggae vinyl I do have from back in the day. Um, even got General Levy on the fashion label stuff before he done um, the jungle stuff. I've got General Levy on vinyl, um, got Tubby T on vinyl. There must be some kind of picture somewhere, but I do definitely have. Um, to preserve the reggae in this borough, it'd be nice to have a museum of some sort with certain artefacts like vinyl or clothes like from back in the day like click suits and raggers and stuff like that that would be nice a bit like what's in the library where you can go around and see like an exhibition um yeah an awards ceremony like you was talking about with steely that would be great as well because a lot of the time in these award ceremonies they never go to the right artist. The awards never, it's always kind of watered down in some type of way. So if it could be a reggae award, like they do a country a music award, they do all kinds of different awards like that, so why not do a reggae award? I've, didn't reggae just get um, some kind of, what do they call it, in Jamaica, they've preserved reggae as well. Something's just happened recently. So that would be great if they could do that over here as well for Lovers Rock and stuff like that because Lovers Rock was really prominent in the 80s and 90s. So I have worked with um, youths, I've done workshops. I'm teaching a workshop now, a rap workshop at the Academy of Contemporary Music. So I've been doing that, but I often would get called into different places and come and do like just a talk just to give them a bit of inspiration to say you can do it because I know a lot of you look up to people and think but I can't do that or that's Michael Jackson I can't be as big as him and it's like why Michael Jackson started somewhere 